1: Bring in show music, please.
0: Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod, Ron Barron, the billionaire investor who has seen it all
2: and people were really upset about inflation, interest rates. That was when I started Baron Capital, 1982. 800 on the Dow Jones, now 32000 He says he's
0: seen enough to know now is the time, a once-in-a-generation moment to invest.
2: Everything doubles in price every 14 or 15 years, your house, your tuition, your car. If you go back to the time of Jesus Christ, from zero to 1500, the economy doubled and the number of people doubled. Barron on what he's buying and getting past the bumps in the road. Every time, every single time, there's been a financial panic, there's been a war, there's been a COVID chaos. Whenever these sort of things happen, uh, the government steps in, in every democracy that's ever existed, and devalues our currency.
0: Plus, Joe, Becky, and Andrew on resurfacing those bumpy roads.
1: For a decade, since 2008, we've been talking about this exact conversation.
0: As the economy hits a policy and political inflection point.
3: I wish the Fed, the rest of us, didn't have to pay for bad policies.
0: It's Thursday, August 25th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now.
3: Stand Andrew By in three, two,
1: one, Q Andrew. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. We got a lot going on on this Thursday morning.
0: First up on the podcast. Hey, folks. The latest policy initiative of President Joe Biden's massive domestic agenda fell into place yesterday.
2: Here's the deal. The cost of education beyond high school has gone up significantly. The total cost to attend a public four-year university has tripled, nearly tripled in 40 years. The president announced
0: that he will forgive $10,000 in federal student loan debt for most borrowers. Up to $20,000 would be forgiven for recipients of Pell Grants. And about 20 million people, 45% of the Americans experiencing the financial pressure of student loan payments, would have their debt completely erased.
2: All this means people can start, finally crawl out from under that mountain of debt to get on top of their rent and their utilities to finally think about buying a home, or starting a family, or starting a business. And by the way, when this happens, the whole economy is better off.
0: This unprecedented action by the White House, wiping out hundreds of billions of dollars in consumer debt, follows years of advocacy pressure in the Democratic Party. Calls for large-scale student loan forgiveness date back to the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011. then, advocates wondered why corporations received a bailout in the great financial crisis on their debt, and everyday Americans just seeking an education were left to figure things out themselves. Now, critics say that debt forgiveness is a terrible move. It sets an awful precedent and offers a moral hazard to taxpayers. The ones who will have to pay for this write-off aren't the ones racking up high loan balances. Maybe they didn't get to college, or they paid off their own debts. this question of hazard and how to do the right thing leads me to our next headline today. The mystery befuddling economists and those of us who work on Squawkbox Box for essentially this whole summer of 2022. Is the U.S. economy stable in the right place? Or are we teetering on the edge of something dark and damaging, emerging from a pandemic right into a recession? Record high inflation, a rate of price hikes not seen since the early 1980s, has impacted economic growth. In fact, two quarters of economic contraction and inflation are some of the conventional warning signs of a recession. So, conventionally, the Federal Reserve has started to hike interest rates. The benchmark federal funds rate went from 0.08% in March, pretty low, to 2.3% today. But inflation in July was at 8.5%. So, that's a big gap. Maybe the conventional wisdom doesn't apply. And that's where Joe Kernan started things off today.
3: Can I just, I was, I was stimulated uh, this morning. I know that's, that's probably t- TMI, oh, but goodness. I want to, No, I was by this article. I'm getting article, coffee, I'm, I'm getting coffee here. By, by this article, and I, I think we should assign it as, as reading, because it just, it, it, it just got me thinking. Uh, nobody knows how interest rates affect inflation. And it's by a guy from, uh, that, that is at the Hoover Institute at Stanford and, and Cato. But in reading it, it really made me think how much we really do know about the, the relationship between interest rates and inflation. And, and there's, a, there's a whole new um, sort of a thesis that the, the economy, unlike what the Fed thinks, the Fed assumes it's inherently unstable but that it actually is fairly stable and self-correcting. And over time, that I, you know, I don't know how much credence to put in this, but it mean, even makes the case that back in the Volcker days, that if it would eventually have, have returned to more equilibrium, given even if we hadn't gotten a 20% interest rate. But it, it all, Wait, now the Fed should slow down? Well, it just plays, no, it plays into the whole notion that it's, it's, it, at, at best, it's a blunt instrument. We knew this, but at worst, it might not even be as effective uh, as, as the Fed thinks.
4: But what about all the calls for so long for the Fed to raise rates that they were being too easy, I know. that they were like, inflating things?
3: Well, what I see is that when the Fed is, is, is keeps rates low, it allows the, our policymakers to think that money's free, and then and they go crazy. And, and the right, Fed sort of been, ena- that, the, the Fed enables. The Fed enables right. just trillions of dollars.
1: On for decades, since 2008, we've been
3: talking about this exact yeah. conversation. Right. And, and, and now, there now, is something now, to the notion there's something to notion if you just print, I mean, we've seen it with wheelbarrows, uh... and we've seen it in Zimbabwe Helicopters, with, with yeah, helicopter money. So we know that if you devalue a currency and, and just print too much of it, So, so, so
4: low, low rates is one thing, printing money another. is that the the lesson that we take out of this?
3: Wouldn't it be perfect if we just wouldn't print that much, but we would keep rates low?
4: But that's an argument for the Fed to keep reining in liquidity and keep bringing down the balance sheet.' You're, you're, we're talking about two things. They have two tools. Right. one's the balance sheet. One is interest rates. The balance sheet—we still don't know what happened because we've inflated it beyond any level we've ever seen before. But we don't know what
3: the outcome. I is. guess I finally decided I don't want to—I don't want to start anything, Andrew. But I—I I, I think I just decided that I wish the Fed, the rest of us, didn't have to pay for bad policies that I think think that we've seen. So now we're going to kill the economy because we've done all these stupid things in terms of spending too much money. And I know people say we well, went about the tax cuts, and I, I hear that and. You know, it's not just this administration, but we've really kicked it into a, a whole new level, especially and with the late. We haven't talked about the student loan yet. That's going to be a well, half. it's Minimum with half a trillion. Admi- the
4: last two administrations. Have, right, but, have,
3: but this is a half. This is a half a trillion for starters. We just did chips and um, inflation reduction. That supposedly, the, if you believe the inflation reduction act, would have cut the deficit by three hundred billion. This just wipes that out. And adds another three hundred billion. Andrew, what we can also talk about? And I'm, I'm addressing Andrew again because it, it, talking about bailouts and, and the the notion that while well, we bail out companies, we don't bail out. People that borrow money that for something very worthy would, you know, theoretically go into college. I'm not sure that holds true either. Because if it was systemic back in 2008, it wasn't because you were trying to, to put in moral hazard. It's just something that you right. had to hold your nose Look, that you were doing. And it wasn't good then, and it's not good now. It's not good in either case, right? I think it's probably not good in either case.
1: I, 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 I think we all actually, all three of us, so maybe it's not fun for cable, agree about this, I think we're all on the same side on the student loan uh, piece of this. The only thing I'd say, and as I was watching President Biden yesterday, he made a comment about, you know, do you, someone asked him, you know, do you think this is fair? What about all the people who've spent all this 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 money and that. did all the right yeah. things? You, you saw that, and he sort of turned yeah. around and he said, well, but what about uh, all of these, you know, billionaires who run companies who who have these, you know, other tax policies? The to people who paid their student loans
2: or chose not to take out loans? Is it fair to people who in fact uh, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses if see want these guys give them all a tax price, Is that fair?
1: What do you think? I thought to myself, well that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say. But I also, I mean ridiculous insofar as, you know, that's not the retort we should be looking at, just the merits of the, of the tax policy in each case. But I also understood at the same time I think for somebody like him, he's thinking of this sort of cosmic sense of justice, which is to say that our tax system, unfortunately, is so uh, is so backwards. We have given so many different benefits to so many different either companies or people along the way. You've seen it even in the last two or three years during during COVID. You, by the way, you probably saw the story about some of the celebrities who took all that PPP yep. money. I yep. mean, uh, yep. there's just been it's so many wrong. different there's been so many different benefits that have been handed to different people for different reasons. And I'm not saying this is the right reason or the wrong reason, but I do think that we probably do have to think about it in this larger. You know, it's very hard because I think you, all of us, are very, I don't want to say we're micro,
3: we, but I think we but look at
1: the, the merits no. of the actual policy and go, this doesn't make sense, this makes sense. I'm, I'm,
3: I'm I on, agree with you on this. But, too. Well, I'm Andrew. definitely much more, I'm much more cynical about this. It, to me, it, he cannot say no to the progressive wing of this no, party. I, I'm, he I, cannot I, say no sure. to them. And, you know, it
4: any of the underlying problems with the higher education system. I
3: mean, that's and, and it's November's coming. Not uh, it's just before when I get winter. all of it. So it's I get just all of it. So I get cynical. all of it. But I well, also a think that we sense of at- fairness. Joe Biden not thinking of a cosmic sense of no, fairness.
4: I, I, I actually I agree I, with Andrew. He's selling it idea. that way.
3: The people who wrote what he said yesterday are selling it that way. But they represent no, no, the progressive win I of the think party. I mean, I think in a cosmic sense of show and cosmic sense
1: of. Of, of fairness or justice or who knows what, I think that there are people in this country, again, and they look and they say, we've incentivized or no, we've privileged certain people over other people. And maybe, you know, co- people who tried to go to college and have had a tough time, maybe they deserve something. So I get that. What about the I people who didn't go to look, college because yeah, the they that, couldn't afford that, it? That, who that, are gonna be asked that's to the first pay thing that's that they read. Obviously. Plumbers
3: and, pl- plumbers and FedEx guys are is, paying a for Harvard whole, graduate but, degrees But that's, that's
1: why all of these policies all I mean look we have not we've we've created these sort of in, almost industrialized policies around right, which we use the solution that's what we use the tax, the to use, the tax use code, the tax code yeah. to express what we think is our democracy Fair, and that's why this point. is always such a big issue
4: I, I agree I mean like I think I think you're right we're all kind of on the same page we're all flummoxed by this well, I'm not ready I'm not to sure say to figure it
3: out uh, but we started See, I did this it was 605 <laughs> we're way over
1: Cheese will be next.
0: Coming up, legendary investor Ron Barron has been loading up on stocks. The billionaire and noted Tesla bull tells us why he's an
2: optimistic buyer. Everyone is so short-term. Everything is so short-term. Elon Musk says that uh, the people who are most likely to be successful are the people who have long-termism. SquawkPod will be right back.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod. I'm producer Katie Kramer. We have an extended interview today with investor Ron Barron. His Barron Funds has nearly $42 billion in assets under management. About 11% of the firm's assets are in Tesla stock. Barron is a huge Elon Musk bull, investing in two Musk-founded companies, Tesla and SpaceX. And he offered financing for Musk's dramatic bid earlier this year to buy Twitter. Ron Barron is a believer in long-term opportunity. And in fact, he thinks that the volatile markets of this year offer an opportunity not seen in decades. This is on Squawk Box on June 7, the day after the recent bottom for the S&P 500.
4: We heard from billionaire investor Ron Barron early this morning, and he has a message for CNBC viewers. He wrote an email to Joe and I in which he writes, this is a huge once-in-a-generation buying opportunity, huge, monstrous opportunity following June 2022, June 2020 as well crash.
0: So what does this famous buy-and-hold-and-hold-and-hold investor think today? I'll hand it off here to Becky Quick.
4: Ron, we've been talking an awful lot about where the market stands right now, where things are headed. And I just want to point out, you did make a call back on June 17th that you said this was a once in a generation buying opportunity. If we can take a look at the chart of the S&P since that moment, I mean, it bottomed on June 16th. You were right. Stocks have come up significantly since then. Just wonder what you're thinking at this point. Was, was that the bottom?
2: So first of all, uh, the market was going down uh, significantly for eight or nine months when we spoke uh, on June 17th. And at that time, virtually everyone you had on was saying negative things. And the concern was universal about inflation and higher interest rates and oil prices. And I want to point out that every time everyone tries to predict macro, uh, they're almost always wrong. And from going back to Greenspan in 1996 when he said it was irrational exuberance and then the stock market doubled in the next four or five years. Uh, or the uh, executive you had on predicting oil prices, uh, when oil prices uh, this summer, he said oil prices, and he should know, he's the head of an investment bank about oil, and uh, oil prices were 120, he said they'd be 150 uh, by summer, and now they're 90. Uh, and uh, oh, commodity prices overall, everyone was worried about them. Uh, everything across the board is down 30 or 40 percent. Uh, uh, the economy is slower. Uh, inventories are being destocked. Uh, so the uh, economy is definitely slow. Hi- hiring freezes are taking place. So the economy is definitely slower. So it's easy to get out of inflation. It's impossible to get out of deflation. So we never predict anything about the economy or about the stock market. Uh, Just when you look at the prices of companies that were selling in June and that are selling still now, uh, they're prices that are uh, unusually attractive relative to the company's opportunities long term. Uh, And, uh, you know, so I can't tell you this was the bottom. uh, Who knows? Uh, But the bottom line is that these are all really attractive prices, really attractive times. And we've been buying then, been buying since, and buying, uh, you uh, you know, continuously
3: just just continuing that for for just for one second can i I ask becky if i could just just add to that because we do talk about it a lot and there's been i don't know if you saw how many people were calling for new lows uh all along from june 16th all the way up everybody we have on says we're going below 3600 on the SP. and i know you're not a short-term guy and that's not what i'm looking for here but what do you think of the notion that you we know, we had a really good bounce much more than most people thought back to to 4200 or whatever you would you would say now it's being questioned again and it almost makes me think instead of that being a a bull a, a fake rally a bull in a, in an overall bear i think now this might be a quick bear fake out to 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 question to have people questioning wh- whether they should be bullish so yesterday we had a guy say i've gone from selling strength back to buying dips. And I wonder if, I mean, that made sense to me. I don't think we see 3,600 again.
2: Well, you know, uh, I've started uh, in business in 1970. And then 1982 uh, began Baron Capital. Uh, and at the time we had a small number of assets under management that Dow Jones was 800. And people were really upset about the market being, uh, you know, inflation, interest rates. That was when I started Baron Capital, 1982. 800 on the Dow Jones, now 32,000. But if you go back to uh, World War I, uh, in 1918, uh, we had the Spanish flu. We like to call things Spanish flu, Chinese flu. We never blame someone else all the time. But uh, there was inflation uh, and we ended a war. Uh, And then the stock market, then you had the Roaring Twenties. And in 1945, you ended World War II. uh, And uh, the next three years, you had inflation, higher interest rates. Uh, Debt was higher than the uh, size of the economy and the stock market. And then we started the Marshall Plan, 1949 to 1955, uh, the stock market tripled. Uh, Then you had uh, uh, 1982, uh, of course, uh, that was following the Vietnam War. You had a lot of inflation, high interest rates. And what happened? The Dow Jones went from 800 to 32,000. So do I tell you that the market is going to, you know, so everyone is so short term. Everything is so short term. So Elon Musk says that uh, the people who are most likely to be successful are the people who have long-termism, who think about things long-term, not not now, and are optimistic. Uh, uh, and uh, and then, he says, and what you need, really need is people who have infinite time horizons, not tomorrow, not next quarter, infinite time horizons. So, you know, he may not get to Mars, uh, but he's certainly uh, investing so he can, or people are planting trees, not necessarily because they're going to sit under them, but because other people will enjoy them. So, so I think that... The idea here is that every time, every single time, there's been a financial panic, there's been a war, there's been a COVID, uh, 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 you know, uh, an economic uh, you know, uncertainty, chaos. Whenever these sort of things happen, uh, the government steps in, in every democracy that's ever existed, and devalues our currency. And the way they do that, the reason they do it is because they want to take care of their citizens, they want to get reelected, of course, and then they want to protect them. And, and they want to make the economy grow faster, and then to get out of the debt. This is not unplanned where we have this inflation now. This is planned. It's planned to make the debt worth less relative to the size of the economy and the economy to grow faster. It's a plan, and it always has been. And so what happens is we're investing in growth companies, so the growth companies are our hedge against inflation. No, we're not investing in commodities or Bitcoin or gold, or we're not doing any of that. We're just investing in companies growing more than the economy. The economy grows. Six or seven percent a year, two or three percent real, four or five percent inflation. Inflation, you go back, look up in Google, go back as far as you can, and everything over the over my lifetime is four or five percent a year, not two percent. Four or five percent a year. Government will tell you it's two percent, but it's four or five percent. Everything doubles in price every fourteen or fifteen years. Your house, your tuition, your car, uh,
3: everything. Uh, tuition uh, doesn't, <laughs> a... doesn't matter anymore, Ron. Tuition <laughs> a little faster
4: <laughs> until they yeah. pay off your debts. Yeah, tuition doesn't matter. Dollars. I just don't
3: want 1969 to 1982. There are periods like that, Ron, where we were at 1,000. I, I started at Merrill in 81, so we got lucky. But if you were at ni- if you started and Capital in 1969, you might have been out of the business by 1982, after 1974.
2: Well, look, there, there were people I knew that left the business in 1982, but you know what? Uh, If you go back to the time of Jesus Christ, uh, from zero to 1500, so so long term, you're right, doesn't always work. But from zero to (laughs) 1500, the economy doubled and the number of people doubled. So think about this. So I'm outside the temple walls and I'm trying to raise, I'm a money changer and I'm trying to raise money. I go to Becky and say, Rebecca, uh, I think that you should let me manage money for you. And I think I can double your money over the next 1,500 years. That's what I'm it was, a woman that's 2,000 years, years ago. But I don't know. The
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then you had the Industrial Revolution in, eight, uh, in 1,800. And the next uh, 200 years, uh, the economy went up 100 times. And over the last 50 years, the growth is accelerating. And it's going to accelerate even further, because now you have the digitization of everything taking place. So I am incredibly bullish for my children, for my grandchildren, and for me, next 20 years. It's not that many people who are 79 years old, who are thinking about 10 and 20 year horizons, but that's what I think about.
4: That's fantastic. So uh, let's talk about the stocks you're seeing right now, Ron. What are the, your favorite stocks that you have seen in this arena, the ones you've been buying the last couple of months?
2: Well, the, uh, uh, the most recent uh, biggest purchases I've made, uh, I've made, uh, people in my office are buying all the time. I tell them you gotta keep buying. Uh, so uh, 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 two largest investments I've made in the past couple of months are SpaceX, where we added another hundred million dollars, and uh, uh, and Fig's, uh, which is uh, you haven't heard very much about, but you will soon. Uh, it's the Lululemon of healthcare, and uh, we invested about a hundred million dollars there. But I've invested across the board in uh, you know in, in travel. I love travel. It's been deferred for uh, for three years. Nobody's traveled, and now the business is really taken off, and we're investing in Hyatt, we're investing in Vail, we're investing in Red Rock. So Red Rock, they have. Uh, in in Las Vegas, uh, they didn't like to have uh, casinos next to hospitals, next to schools, next to communities, and so they rewrote the legislation. And uh, and when they rewrote the legislation, the guy who owns all of the casino land that can be built in Las Vegas, uh, other than on the strips, in the strip, you build a casino, three, four, five billion dollars, and if you make a 10 percent return, you're very lucky. Uh, they're building in communities $750 million for the people who work in those casinos. So that's where they go for hamburgers and pizza and movies and beer and, uh, and, and rent hotels by the hour. I don't know. Uh, park, they say invest in parkings, uh, parking lots, uh, you know, so it's stripes in the parking lot instead of expensive rooms. So their investment return, they invest $750 million for a casino, not three or four or five billion. And instead of making eight or nine or 10 percent return, they make 20 and they got exclusivity. They got the only land. Uh, so I like that. I like Vale, which is taking uh, you know, data and they're uh, making it uh, better uh, you know, so they can attract people there. And they have these resorts that feed to them. Hyatt, we, hyatt they came to visit us about, um, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. And he, uh, I love this guy, Mark Hoplamazian. And he was explaining how upset he was that uh, analysts are valuing his company uh, at 11 times uh, for the hotels that he owns. He's selling these hotels because he's turning into a fee business and taking back management contracts. But he's selling them at 11 times. Uh, he's selling them at 17 times, and the stock market is telling the more everyone it's worth 11 times. The analysts are saying it's worth 11 times. They're selling them at 17 times. They're selling them, getting cash for them, and taking back management contracts. And then he's got this other business, which is managing those hotels, and that's selling 12 times, maybe 15 times. So they're selling half price. And they keep buying stock. And I told them, I'm really busy right now. I can't really give them ideas about how we should present to investors, but, you know, he should. I love Tesla. We've been investing in Tesla for eight years now, since 2014, made about 20 times our money, made about $6 or $7 billion on a $380 million million investment. Uh, I think we're going to make three to five times our money again over the next 10 years. I am so excited. The next 10 years, I think that Tesla is going to be uh, the largest uh, company in the world. And in the 10 years after that, I think it'll be challenged by SpaceX, uh, uh, which could become uh, the largest company in the world. I was telling you about FIGS. Obviously, another uh, Elon
4: Musk the, company, SpaceX. You, you uh, have SpaceX investments is in both. A,
2: so spa- yes. So we own about 1% of SpaceX. We have about billion to invested. We've been investing for about um, three or four or five years. Our cost is probably $400 million. I think we're going to make eight times uh, the next 10 years, eight or 10 times. And I think that uh, the following 10 years, uh, this can be a monster company. This is, this is the internet for the entire world. You saw what happened in Ukraine where uh, uh, the, uh, Zelensky called up Elon Musk and said, hey, uh, Elon, I don't know what he calls him, Elon or Mr. Musk. Uh, he says, uh, we can't communicate with our troops. Can you help us? And in uh, 48 hours, they have these satellites going around uh, uh, the Earth right now, 4,000 on the way. it uh, will be 4,000 this this year, uh, on the way to 40,000 or 35,000 uh, within 10 years. And this is the Internet for the world, and that is one one, one area for them. But then they have Backhaul, which is probably for telecom companies, probably a trillion dollars. What they've done, the innovation that they've done, is that they've made it so you can reuse rockets over and over and over again. So so since before him. There was no reusable rockets. You're using the same technology that you have been since the 1960s. And now, all of a sudden, you can reuse these rockets. Uh, These two uh, young women, the the 40 under 40s from Lululemon, uh, from uh, from FIGS, they visited uh, SpaceX a couple of days ago. And they were telling me that it is the coolest place they've ever seen in their life. The coolest place they've ever seen in their life. And so so this is the Internet for the entire world. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Ron, let uh, me Tesla. let me ask
4: you about Elon Musk and just how much he's been in the news lately, because you have been one of his biggest boosters and longtime believer, longtime investor in his companies. Um, you're also somebody who has agreed to do some financing. If that Twitter deal goes through with Elon Musk, I think you have one hundred million dollars that you'd be on the line for financing with that. Are you in favor of that deal going through? Uh, are you wishing that you weren't somebody who was investing one hundred million dollars at this point?
2: Well, um, he made a $7 million so far and on, on a $380 million investment. And, uh, and when he you know, explained why he thought that uh, this was attractive, he was going on circumstances that he was uh, led to believe, uh, that he, since believe, you know, he believes is now uh, inaccurate facts. So, so I went to law school. And I went to law school at night. I see Andrew making opinions about this all the time. I hear hedge funds have opinions all the time. But I went to law school, and the first night, I went at late on a scholarship. I worked in the patent office in the daytime. And the first night I'm in class, I took a contracts class, and it was with a Monroe Friedman. And he hands out this book, big, thick contracts book, and he says, read these cases, and come back tomorrow. We'll discuss them, 100 people in the the, uh, uh, classroom. And uh, we go back the next day, and he says, "Uh, what do you think happened here? And everybody raises their hand. And then he says, no, this is what happened. And then he he shows the next case, what do you think happened? Fewer hands go up, and he says, what do you think happened? And everyone says the same thing. He says, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. And then uh, he asks the final and the fewer hands still go up, and uh, and he raises his hand. And and then he says, no, this is what happened, the opposite. And so what my conclusion was, uh, after watching this uh, and going to law school for three and a half years, I dropped out, and I had one semester to go, and I dropped out because I ran out of money, uh, and uh, came to New York. And, but uh, the conclusion I had uh, after going to law school was that uh, there is no law. It's just the best lawyers always win. And, uh, and, and every case, it doesn't matter what facts you look at, every case is a toss-up. It's toss-up. And every, everything, who knows? And so I don't know who's going to win or who's going to not win. And if he wins, I'm sure uh, uh, that, uh, you know, there'll be some, some sort of settlement. Uh, or, uh, or if he actually was forced to buy it, Uh, then he would make it better than it was, but it's certainly not as valuable as he thought it was, I would assume, uh, from what he's, you know, from the public press, but I have no, I have no inside knowledge or no uh, insight as far as uh, whether it's gonna uh, go through or whether it won't go
1: through. But I'm happy to support him in almost everything he does. (laughs) Ron, it's Andrew, and you're right. Uh, We have lots of opinions about this. We debate it uh, virtually every day. I just wanted to know from you on, on two fronts, and it goes to the question I think Beck was asking, do you feel, as an investor, that you were defrauded uh, by by Twitter? Listen,
2: I'm not commenting on Twitter. I have no, This is not studying this. I have no I opinion. Basically, I, I look at Tesla, and everyone talks about competition in Tesla, right? Isn't, aren't they going to be? But even my wife says to me, Ron, everyone's going to have electric cars. Of course they're going to have electric cars. There would not be any electric cars were it not for Elon Musk. None. And so what he's doing that other people can't possibly do Is that he is making his? So he's investing now in a plant uh, that makes a million cars a year, about seven billion dollars. Every time he puts up one of these million car plants, uh, he's making seven billion dollars. It's costing him seven billion dollars. When they have that plant up, that produces a million cars, the gross profit per car is about fifteen thousand dollars. So basically, right now, so he's selling something for fifty; they cost him thirty-five. That means that every time he invests seven billion dollars, this is the most profitable company in the entire world. Every time he invests right. seven billion, he's making fifteen Ron, billion I, a year. I, Other I companies that. make ten. I appreciate And
1: you've made an extraordinary amount of money with, with Elon, and maybe unto itself, that is a reason to just to support him. Uh, you know, in any circumstance. Having said that, I believe it's hundred million dollars of your investors' money who've put money with you to entrust you with that money, that hundred million dollars. And we're looking at a situation where if he's forced to buy it, I think the people believe, I don't know if you believe this, that the unaffected price of Twitter today is probably half of what he paid. Uh, Now, maybe over time that that changes and maybe he's able to improve it. But how as an investor do you think about that?
2: If uh, you looked at Tesla when we started to buy it eight years ago, uh, it was not worth anywhere near the price that we paid if he wasn't going to grow in the future, period. It was not worth a fraction of what we paid. And the reason we bought it was because we thought, unlike most, that it was had have this tremendous opportunity. And as a result of that, we thought it was going to be a different company in the future than it was at that moment. I'm sure the same thing is going to be the case with, uh, with, with Twitter. Uh, if it's on its own, uh, who knows how it's going to be. And uh, But if, if Elon Musk ran it, it would be a different company. It would, but it's not on the basis of what it is right now. So basically, if it is what it is right now, who knows what it's going to be if he doesn't go through? Uh, because it hasn't been very well managed, that's for sure. Uh, and uh, as you can tell from a whistleblower. But let me just make one point about Tesla. So so uh, $15,000 is what that means $15 billion a year for every time you make $7 billion investment. In addition to that, though, they just passed the IRA law, the, uh, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act. And they're doing some really interesting things here. And what they're doing is that they're saying, listen, we can't rely on, on, on uh, we, can, we made a terrible mistake in oil, and, uh, w- and we rely on other people to provide us with this energy. And let's not make the same mistake with chips. Let's not make the same mistake with batteries. And so now they're giving people incentive to onshore and make batteries in the United States. And, w- and our guy happens to be a prime beneficiary of that. Tesla is a prime beneficiary of that. So, so far, we made 20 times. I think we make three or four or five times next 10 years. On this one bill that just passed, we're going to get an incentive everyone who makes cells in the country is going to make, get an incentive of 3500 dollars a car. That means that we're making15,000 dollars a car right now. you can add another three or four thousand dollars a car uh, just because we're making the batteries here and because we're, we're going to make more of them. Other people are going to start, we've got to have batteries in the United States. In addition to that, what they do, they do casting. So, so uh, my wife says, you know, Mercedes is going to have. Of course, they're going to have these guys. Everyone's going to have electric cars, but this, but no one's going to have the cars. i drove in a Mercedes car last night. I hated it, um, <laughs> they, they, uh, when, 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 uh, an electric Mercedes. Uh, and it's just the, the, the battery's in the wrong place. The center of gravity isn't right. I'm so sorry, okay. they are I'm talking <laughs> us out.
4: They let us go as long as we possibly could. Of course, we always want more with you. And of course, we hope we are going to see you again very soon, I think the headline here Ron said back on June 17th, this was a generational opportunity to buy stocks. Thinks that's still the case, that you haven't missed out just yet. Ron Barron, we always appreciate your time and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Ron.
0: Next, on Squawk Pod. Not exactly a Hollywood ending for Warner Brothers in 2022.
3: Shazam, the Jim Neighbors life story. No, that's not what it is.
0: The legendary studio delaying some high profile movie releases.
3: Jim Neighbors was Gomer Pyle, and he always said Shazam. Over my head, Shazam, Sergeant Carter.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely,
0: positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan.
3: Warner Brothers Discovery is delaying release dates for a few high-profile movies as the company continues to cut costs following its merger. The sequel to Aquaman, Aquaman in the Lost Kingdom, I think, um, what's her face is in it? Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah 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 I think so that was set to hit the big screen uh, but a small part it, it was now. yeah it was brought down set to uh, hit the screen in March fans are now going to have to wait until Christmas Day 2023 meantime uh Shazam uh, the uh the Jim neighbor's life story uh no that's not what it is uh, Shazam the sequel is being pushed to March 2023 uh, from its original release date of this December so Sorkin you're a Hollywood expert movie person how, how does this what does this mean exactly? Do the movies stink like the one he can't? I'm talking about Zaslav again. But do they are they bad like the one he canceled? Does it save money to to wait for the release date? Maybe do they do they marketing? tweak it? Do they make it better? Is it not a good time when they were gonna release it? So it would be a more uh, a better time to release it at these I new think it's dates? A do you understand? Thing, but I don't know. Maybe I think, the, I think these are timing movies? issues
1: with other benefits. movies Time, you mean t- or, timing or, up either against other movies or just thinking that there's going to be an opening in terms of seasonality that's, get, what, yeah. that's what i think in Better this fun. case <sighs> this is unlike the look the other film are moving about know, marketing and the others yeah. was an accounting issue yeah. Yeah. was strictly an accounting right because right, right, they got a tax um, benefit we, but,
3: but how was the first there shazam was a, there was a tax was the first benefit shazam? and now they're
1: taking and they're taking lots of other programming for example off of hbo max that's about residuals not you know, uh-huh. not having to pay residuals in the future. At the same time that they're trying to declutter the service, given that there's so much clutter on those services, this I think is a very different thing. This is I think just looking at the calendar, looking at what you're up against, looking at the marketing right. budgets, seeing what you can
3: do. That's what I think is going on, but I don't know. Did you see the original Aquaman? Yes. I like the big guy it. from uh, from uh, Game of Thrones, Jason. Oh Lamar. yeah, Hemboah. What is Shazam about? Is that a genie thing or, or?
4: Yeah, Shazam goes back to the ancient, you know, he a, a kid gets in trouble. Shazam, you're one of like these, I don't know, ancient spirits. It reminded me of Xanadu. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw Xanadu with Olivia Newton-John. One oh. of those, sort
3: of. Poor, poor Olivia. Um, and, and then um, my Jim Neighbors joke, uh, Andrew. Did, did you understand? Gomer Pyle, Jim Neighbors was Gomer Pyle. And he always said Shazam. That was why, I, for every generation X. Shazam. Right. right. Shazam, oh, Sergeant Carter. Yeah, that's why I said it was I the gym name I, I know no Shazam is an app oh that tells you God. what the song is.
0: And that is the podcast for today. Thanks so much for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes, analysis, interviews from our TV show right into your ears, please follow Squawk Pod. We are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you like to listen. Have a great day, and we'll meet you right back here tomorrow.
1: Now we are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you so